Well, welcome Seven Hills Church. Y'all doing good today? Yes. Welcome, of course, online and uh, Cincinnati, Seven Hills, Cincy. How, how excited are y'all that we have one church with multiple locations? I'm so fired up about what God is doing in Cincinnati. And uh, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Marcus. I am much more tan than he is. <laughs> um, no, but welcome, everybody. So glad each and every one of you are tuning in from online, uh, from Cincinnati and uh, here at our Florence location. Uh, Pastor Marcus, again, this is a very rare uh, instance, um, but yesterday there was uh, a medical emergency with a church member, and uh, this is very rare. He does not do this, um, but in this specific circumstance, uh, he has been present with the family uh, in the hospital and has been there uh, ministering and just being there with them. Again, this is very rare. He hated missing today, and uh, he did not uh, plan this, and uh, he's very excited to be back next week as we're continuing our series on Jonah. So make sure you're here next week. Uh, he will be back. Uh, he misses you. He loves you. And I don't know about you, but I'm just grateful that we have a pastor that loves this church and loves uh, you so well. It is what he talks about all the time. Uh, three things. He talks about the Lord. He talks about the church and he talks about CrossFit. So he loves them all in that order and family, of course, but you know, <laughs> But uh, so glad each and every one of you are here. Um, again, my name is Luke. Um, uh, all the students in the room or young people would recognize me as the loud Italian that yells at them on Wednesday nights for youth. So shout out Legacy Cincy. Shout out Legacy and College Night here, College Fam. And uh, we are part of a church that loves the next generation relentlessly. And I'm grateful to be underneath the leadership of Pastor Marcus, who would say he's a youth pastor at heart. How many of y'all know the church is one generation away from extinction? So it is always about pouring into and raising up who is next. And that's what this church does so greatly. And we're uh, very honored to be a part of it. And uh, of course, we're in our series on Jonah. So as you see, we have our whale, William, behind us. Say hi, William. He's a good boy. And uh, we're really looking at this, the story of Jonah, which of course is about redemption, right? Jonah ran from God. And I love how Jonah chapter three starts is that God spoke to Jonah a second time. I love that God is never absent and speaking to us again, even in our failures, even in our shortcomings, even when we run away from him. And I think the spirit of Jonah is something that can get a hold of any one of us if we're not careful, that spirit of running away from God, that spirit of shying away from the places that God has called us or the, the things that God has called us to. And I'd like to talk to you about another story that I believe is so very similar to Jonah, um, really about that theme of redemption, about how God gives second chances. If you could title this message anything today, it would be God gives second chances. This is another... This is another story. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, or if you're taking notes, or if you have it on your phone, just Google Luke 5. And we'll begin in verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I love that. Sometimes we try to argue with God as if he don't know what he's talking about. But at some point, you just got to be like, nevertheless, I'm going to listen to you. And when they had done this, this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. This is such a crucial moment because I want to tell you about the story of Simon Peter. This is Simon Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He doesn't know him yet as the Messiah, as the Son of God, but in this moment, after seeing this miracle that Jesus does by providing all these fish so much so that the, the boat begins to sink, Simon Peter, in this moment, realizes that he's sinful and that Jesus is holy. He says that. He says, depart from me. You should have nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm wicked. I'm sinful. I'm messed up. Like Simon Peter was a fisherman. He was rough. He was rough, rough, rough around the edges and inside. He was just rough. <laughs> he was just a rough dude. And here, Jesus is saying, I, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about the things that you would use to disqualify yourself because he says in Matthew four nineteen, same story, different perspective. He says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, I, I know what you do. I know what you're about. I know that you're a fisherman, but I'm calling you to something greater. I love that when Jesus gets involved, he always calls us to something greater. He always has better ahead of us. He sees where we're at, and he's going to speak to where we could be. So Simon Peter joins Jesus for ministry, and he would begin to see and embark on the next couple years of an amazing journey. He would see Jesus heal crowds just by his presence. He would hear firsthand the Sermon on the Mount. He would experience Jesus speaking peace, be still, and watching the wind and the waves be calmed at his voice. He would ultimately confess Jesus as the Christ. He would be there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He left his old life behind to experience the miraculous, the miraculous Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw everything. He's watching people be healed. He, he's experiencing this greatness, all because he left his old life behind and he was willing to follow Jesus. Now, towards the end of that journey, if you jump ahead to Matthew chapter 26, we find them at the Last Supper and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered, watch this, and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus says to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. These are bold statements that Simon Peter makes. I will never, I will never deny you. I will, there, there's nothing that would ever make me deny you. Then he goes to, he takes it a step further and he goes on to say that they will have to kill me before I ever deny you. And not only will I not deny you, I'm going to specifically say, I will not deny you right now. I will not do it. I promise you, I promise you. Of course, if you know this story, you know what's going to happen here in a bit, and we'll get to it shortly. But we're not here today to look down on Simon Peter. We're not here today to beat up on Simon Peter. That's not my intention at all. It's not this message. We're looking at this story because you and I are a lot more like Simon Peter than we realize. You and I are a lot more like Simon Peter. My question would be how, how many of you have maybe told the Lord in an area of weakness in your life. I'll never do this again. And you do it again. 
How many of us have said, God, I'll never do that again. I'll never think that thought again. I'll never do that again. And then we find ourselves doing it again and again and again and again. A hundred percent of us, a hundred percent of us. I'm talking about this story because I can relate to Simon Peter. I'm Simon Peter. You're Simon Peter. All of us. There's things I've said I'd never do. And I find myself doing. There are things I said I would do by now and haven't even started. We find ourselves in this position relating to Simon Peter. And that's why I want to talk to you on the topic that God gives second chances. So that very evening, right after this conversation is had, Jesus is taken. He's arrested. And the story continues in Matthew 26 and beginning in verse 69. It says that Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. So here comes this girl the very same evening that Peter so adamantly defended himself and defended his honor to Jesus saying, I will not deny you. Here he is in the very specific way. He said he would not do it. He's denying Jesus goes on in verse 71. That's one time when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he again denied with an oath saying, I do not know the man. So the first time he denies him and here, what this scripture is in reference to is a legal term. It's very similar to how if in today you were in a court of law and you would have to swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What Simon Peter's saying here is I'm willing to swear an oath and put the law on the line that I do not know this man. That's two times. In verse 73, a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. He denies knowing him. That's one time. Then he's willing to put the law on the line and say, I'll swear in a court of law that I don't know him. And then that's not enough. He begins to curse and swear. He's saying, I don't know this insert word, man, <laughs> this blankety blank man. I don't know him. I don't know him. And verse 75 says immediately before he could even finish cursing the beautiful Jesus, before he could finish that sentence immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I think about the guilt that Simon Peter would have been experiencing in this moment. The very same evening, Jesus would wash his disciples' feet. Simon Peter would, would talk to Jesus and say, I'm never going to deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll never. They'll have to kill me. The very same night when Jesus needed those that were closest to him the most, not only is Simon Peter denying him, not only is he willing to put the law on the line, but he's cursing him up and down, saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. You're wrong. And he thinks about those precious words that Jesus spoke to him. You're going to do it. You're going to deny me. I think about the guilt that would cause somebody to weep bitterly. We need to remember this story. We need to remember this story because we've all been like Simon Peter. We've all been like Simon Peter, right? We start out so eagerly. 
When Jesus first called Simon Peter, he was willing to leave everything behind. He was a fisherman. He left behind his business, his career to follow this Jesus. I think we've all been that way. We start out so eager. Maybe you were younger, maybe a child, and you were so excited about the things of God. You just couldn't keep you away from church and keep you away from the Bible and serving and small groups. And you were so passionate about Jesus, but wherever you ended up, you find yourself like Simon Peter, because right before Peter's denial, we see what scripture says in Matthew 26, 58. And it says that Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a, at a distance. He started following him closely in Luke 5. He was right there. He was right there with Jesus for all the miracles. He was right there when Jesus healed the lame and made the blind men see. He was right there when he calmed the storm. He was right there, but over the years, there started to be this distance created between him and Jesus. He started to find himself over here and Jesus over there. He forsook everything. He left behind everything. But the years wore away at the relationship. He's still following Jesus. He still loves Jesus, but he's loving him from a distance. And I think that God would say today, if he could say anything right now, he'd say, there's a lot of people that love me. There's a lot of people that love me, but they're following me from a distance. There's a lot of people. I know they love me. I know they follow me, but what I'm concerned about is the proximity in which you follow him. I'll follow you. We call them CEO Christians because they're Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> I'll follow you, but I'll come once a year. I'll follow you, but I'll slip out when the pastor says he's closing. I'll follow you but I'm going to keep my distance. And for whatever reason, we, we find things, we find moments to create distance. For Simon Peter, it was his guilt. It was his shame. He sees his mistakes. He sees his mess up. Maybe it's not even something bad, but maybe it's just busyness, right? Don't we say that? Oh, I'm just busy. Well, everybody in this room is busy, but you make time for what's important to you. People need to make time for church. You got to make time for the Lord. God's saying, there's a lot of people, they love me, they're following me, but they're following me from a distance. They've allowed time. They've allowed being busy. They've stopped communication. They're creating distance. And you find yourself in this place and the things you said you'd never do again, you find yourself doing over and over and over again. What does that do? You're finding yourself taking a step back, further back, further back. And there's all this distance between you and your savior. I think if God could say anything today, if you're like Simon Peter, he would say, I know you still love me. I know you still love me. And I want you to tell them that I still love them. He still loves you. I still care for them. I still love them. Tell them I miss them. But the guilt sets in. So Simon Peter, he's weeping bitterly and Jesus would be crucified. And for him, that's the end of the story. In that moment, his last memory with Jesus alive is letting him down. The last thing he remembers is Jesus speaking those words to him, him making a promise and then him breaking that promise. We all can think of a time where we've broken a promise to God. God, I'm never going to do this. 
I'm never going to mess up. I'm never going to do it again. And we try to grit and muscle our way through it. And we find ourselves messing up time and time and again. And that guilt sets in, that shame sets in. Much like Simon Peter in John chapter 21, verse three, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I think this is such a profound statement because fishing is what he did before he met Jesus. When Jesus met Simon Peter, he said, I know you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Right? I know what you're doing, but I'm going to call you to something greater. But after this encounter that Simon Peter has, and after he lets Jesus down, he goes back to what he was doing before he met Jesus. And that's what we do in life, don't we? We mess up and we allow ourselves to go back to where we were before Jesus. Go back to the old mentality. Go back to the old habits. Why? Because we think, what would God want with me? I'm a mess up. I'm a failure. What? I'm going, I'm going fishing. And that's what he does. He goes back to fishing. Who could ever get over a moment like that? I looked him in the eyes. I promised him and I let him down. So Jesus dies. The crucifixion takes place. But of course, we know that's not the end of the story. Jesus is triumphant. He rose again on the third day. And he chose the most beautiful way to reintroduce himself to Simon Peter and some of these disciples. So the disciples in John chapter 21, I'm going to paraphrase. They're on a boat. They're on a fishing boat because they went back fishing. Simon Peter says, I'm, I'm fishing. I'm done with the whole ministry thing. I'm done with the whole Jesus thing. I'm going back fishing. And they're on a boat fishing and they catch nothing. They catch nothing. The whole, spent the whole night fishing, catch nothing. And I'm like, wait a minute. That sounds kind of familiar. Jesus is about to set up the same exact miracle as when he first met them. Oh, I love it. It's going to get good. So Simon Peter and the fishermen, they're out on the boat. They've been there all night. They're, they're trying to fish and they catch nothing. And they're cleaning up their nets. They're, 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 they're uh, getting their nets back up into the boat. And on the beach, this is morning, very early before the sun's risen, there's like fog out. It's kind of dark still, but there's this figure about a hundred yards from the boat on the beach and they hear a voice call out to them in John 21 and it says, children, have you any food? I love Jesus because he's kind of sarcastic here. Like he knows they caught nothing. <laughs> he knows they ain't doing nothing. And isn't that funny how we think we're actually going to be productive when we go back to our life before Jesus? So here he is. He says, hey, y'all catch anything? You guys have any luck? You finding anything without me? And they're like, no, they don't know who it is. They're, they're shouting back like, no, we, we've caught nothing. And then the voice calls back out to them. He says, hey, why don't you try throwing your net on the other side of the boat? See if you have any luck. So they throw the net down and immediately the boat starts to fill up with fish. And in this moment, the disciples, they've got deja vu, right? They're freaking out. They're like, wait a minute. We've been here before. I I've heard this voice before. I've heard this exact instruction. It was years ago, but I don't remember it. So John on the boat, one of the disciples turns to Simon Peter to ask him who that is. And as he's turning, Simon Peter's already in the water swimming to the shore because he said, I know the voice of my savior and I don't care what I'm doing right now. I got to get to him. I got to do whatever I can to get to Jesus. And that's where he goes. 
He's already in the water. He's swimming and he gets to the beach. And the Bible says that Jesus has a fire prepared and he's already making a meal. He's making a breakfast for them. And I love that because when you show up back to Jesus, you don't have to bring anything. He's got everything you need right there. So he sits down and all the disciples, they gather around the fire. And if you're like me, like I don't ever talk while I'm eating. <laughs> I always eat first and then talk afterwards because I hate like having a mouthful of food. So I'm like, just I'm hungry. Let me eat first. So like I imagine Jesus is that way too. I'm just going to. In my mind, that's how he is. So they're eating the food, and I imagine that Simon Peter's sitting around that fire. He's eating the food, and he's probably replaying in his head his, all his mistakes. He's probably shaken, thinking, what am I going to do? Jesus is going to ask me about this stuff. What am I, I going to say? How do I, how, do I, how do I even communicate, articulate the level of sorrow that I have? How, how do I ever ask for forgiveness for such, a, for such a catastrophic failure? They're eating their food, and right after the meal, the Bible says that Simon Peter falls at Jesus' feet, and Jesus asks him these questions. He says, Simon Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, yes, Jesus, I, I love you, but really quickly, I, I got to just tell you, I'm so sorry I messed up. I, I, I told you I would be there for you. I said I'd never deny you. And Jesus, I imagine, would cut him off, say, okay, okay, we'll get to that. Simon Peter, do you love me? That's two times. He said, yes, of course, Lord, you know I love you, but can you just let me say how sorry I am? I didn't mean to. I, I, I was weak, and I, I, you, you needed me, and... When you were being tortured, I was hiding and I couldn't even have the courage to say that I loved you or stand for you or live for you. And Jesus would just cut him off again. Simon Peter, I don't care. Do you love me? He said, if you love me, I need you to feed my sheep. And in that moment, Jesus begins to not, he never even brings up Simon Peter's failures. I love that. He never even brings it up. He already knows. He says, that's fine. He says, that's fine. But in that moment, Jesus begins to speak over Simon Peter what his future looks like. See, he wasn't asking him three times so that Jesus could hear Simon Peter say, I know you love me. I know you love me. No, no, no. He was asking him so that Simon Peter would know that Jesus already knew he loved him. He was asking to get it through his head, not, not Jesus's. He says, do you love me? I love that Simon Peter failed three times and Jesus gave him three times to make it up. <laughs> that wasn't for Jesus. That was for him. He knew that he needed it. Jesus would say in that moment, I know that in your heart that you love me. I know that you love me. You're just lacking consistency and you're just a little far away. Would you come back close? I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And Simon Peter in that moment would be like, yeah, God, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. He'd be focusing on the failures. He's listing his mistakes. And Jesus would say, I know that you fell behind. I know that you had a sinful failure in your life. But because of my life and my death and my resurrection, I have provided an opportunity for you to start over, for you to recommit what you originally committed. And he would speak to Simon Peter and say, hey, I know that you've messed up and I know that you think your voice, oh, I love this. 
I know that you think that your voice is somehow going to disqualify you by what you said or what you've done, but I'm actually going to speak to your future and tell you that your voice is the same voice in Acts chapter 3 that's going to speak and heal a lame man. I know you think that you've messed up, but your voice in Acts chapter 4 is going to declare that there is no other name but the name that is Jesus that can save. And I know you think you've done too many wrong things, but can I tell you that you're the same person in Acts chapter 5 who's going to walk down a street where they lay out all the sick and when you walk by them just your very shadow is going to heal them by my power in you it's not over for you yet see Jesus calls you by your future not by your failures he's not concerned he's not concerned with the past but we do that we get so wrapped up God if you only knew if you only knew what I've done, set that aside. I already know. My question is this. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. Good. I need you to know that I love you. It's not for him to hear. It's for you to believe. He knows. He knows you love him. Maybe you're just following him from a distance. Your love's not in question. When you're saved, that's a spiritual issue. That's set aside. Your eternity's secure. That's a spirit issue. Our body, the Bible says, will one day be saved when we're in heaven, but we have a soul. That's our, that's our mind, which affects our emotions, which affects our choices. Our soul, the Bible calls it sanctification, is in the process of being saved. We're always going to struggle with the way we think. We're always going to struggle with the way we feel. We're always going to struggle with the choices that we make. And what God is saying here is saying, hey, we need to split up what's a spiritual issue and what's a soul issue. You're saved. I know you love me. I love you. Let's work on everything else. Your love for me is not what's in question. I love this. Jesus calls you by your future, and I'm so glad he did when I was 16. There's a lot of mistakes in my life, been a lot since. There'll be a lot in the future. You're living carrying the, 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 the weight of that guilt. You're not meant to carry that. You're not meant to carry it. The enemy, your own inner voice, would love to get you to think. God's done with you, he's canceled you, that you're, that you're somehow big enough to outrun God's grace, that you're somehow powerful enough to mess up God's plans. Can I encourage you? You're not that powerful. <laughs> I would know. I've tried. <laughs> Lord knows I've made mistakes. We all have. We're all Simon Peter. We're all in need of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, but this is what we do because we run things through our own mind. We think if somebody would have treated me that way, I'd be done with them. Thank goodness God's ways are higher than our ways, and his grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. It's enough. It's more than enough. So I said I'd never deny the Lord, but maybe I have with my actions. Maybe I have. Haven't with words, things I said I'd never do. And I said, I love you, Lord. I find myself struggling. Paul even said that. I do the things I don't want to do and the things I should do, I don't do. 
We're in the process of being saved, but something in you says, God, I still love you. I really do love you. And God would say, I know. I just need you to know that I know. He knows you still love him. He knows you still care for him. He knows you're still following him. And the power of what I'm saying right now is what Peter couldn't live with until he met the resurrected Jesus. It wasn't real to him until he had an encounter with the resurrected Son of God. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus says you're still going to have struggles. You're still going to think wrong. You're still going to have sin. You're still going to do things you shouldn't do. But in light of that, he still loves you. He still calls you son. He still calls you daughter. But you'll never be happy and content as long as there's distance between you and Jesus. When there's distance between you and Jesus, the crowing of the rooster will defeat you. Think about that. Simon Peter had to wake up every morning for the rest of his life and hear the rooster. You don't think even after this great moment with Jesus that he still was reminded of how he let him down so catastrophically? Every morning he'd wake up, the first thing he'd wake up to Hey, remember when you messed up? Because we have church on Sunday, and then you wake up Monday morning, and the first thing that's on your mind is, hey, remember how you're not good enough? Remember how you messed up? Remember how you slipped up pretty bad? Hmm. When there's distance, the crowing of the rooster will defeat you. But when you're close to Jesus, I always say, if you're going to fall, you better fall at the feet of Jesus. Those times where you think I shouldn't be anywhere near church is when you need to be right up here in the altar. That's what you need. I'm not here to beat up on you. I'm here to do the opposite. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to say I can relate. Like Paul would say, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the chief Simon Peter. I'm the chief person in need of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. And we've got a God who's in no short supply of redemption. No short supply. And all some of you need, all some of you need is just to take that initiative and jump out of the boat like Simon Peter and <laughs> get your way back to Jesus. That's what this is. We're here today. I love that when Simon Peter had this realization, when Jesus asks him, do you, know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's, it's to get it in his head. And when he understood that, there was a follow-up, which I love. Because again, God was saying in that moment, hey, by the way, I'm, I've still not forgotten the plans I have for you. I know you've gone back to your old way of life, but I still have plans for you. Because that's what we do. Get around the things of God. Maybe it's guilt, maybe it's shame, maybe it's just busyness, but we, like Simon Peter, say, I'm going fishing. Yes, this is real fish. It's a fish. It's William's baby. <laughs> Don't we do that, right? We say, I'm going fishing, right? We mess up. We allow busyness to stand in the way of what God's called us to do. And I'm not talking about a career choice. Because God's called every one of us to be in ministry. Right? Go into all the world. Preach Jesus. That's the great commission, right? But Simon Peter, he just, he just got his focus off. 
But when he fell back down at the feet of Jesus, he had been fishing for a while. He had gone back to his old way of life, his old habits, his old mentalities. And Jesus in that moment gave him an opportunity to recommit what he initially promised to him. He said, hey, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me. And this is what I love. I didn't realize this until yesterday. But Simon Peter's dad, his dad's name was Jonah. So the third time, the third time that Jesus addresses Simon Peter, when he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? He goes, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And I like to change that up a little bit because what's Jonah all about? Second chances. What's Jonah all about? I'm not done with you. In other words, Jesus was saying, Simon, son of second chances, do you still want to do what I've called you to do? Hey, can I encourage you? We're all sons and daughters of second chances. That spirit of Jonah can get on any one of us, just running from what God's called us to do. So I know you're a fisher of men, but if you love me, would you feed my sheep? And I can think of no greater way to feed God's sheep than to invite them to church and get them here. Because there's a whole world of people that are hurting. There's a whole world of people that are beating themselves up. And I don't know about you, but I was Simon Peter when I was 16 years old, and I didn't have the hope of Jesus. It's one thing. It's one thing when you have guilt and shame, but you still love God. It's another when you don't have that hope. You got nowhere to turn to. It's a dark place. And there's a world of people out there. It's a community of people. They don't know who Jesus is. But Jesus isn't here anymore, right? He's, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes for us. He left us with the power of the Holy Spirit and has charged us. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me. Can you do what I came here to do and go reach more people? And guess what? You're not just going to do what I am going to do. He said, you're going to do greater things. You're going to accomplish greater. You think this is cool? You think calming a storm and healing the lame is cool? Wait till we see millions added to the book of life in heaven. Wait till we see the amount of people going to hell decrease and numbers like that 362 salvation, uh, excuse me, baptisms and over a thousand salvations year to date. I don't know about y'all, but that's greater things. We got to be relentless. If God's called you, he's saying, I know you love me. You need to know I love you. And if you love me, I need you to go get my people. I need you to reach out. I need you to love them. I need you to let them know they're not alone. There's a lot of Simon Peters out there, and they're hurting, and they're broken. And if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. You'll get them around the things of God. You'll bring them to the feet of Jesus. They think that they should be the furthest place from church, but if they're going to fall, let them fall at the feet of Jesus. We need a church. We need a people that's going to lead those that are lost, hurting, and broken to the church. God left us. That's our purpose in life. 
the church, not this church, the capital C church, the greatest hope of the world, the best institution on the planet. God left us and the church is a people. It's not me. It's not Pastor Marcus. It's you. It's each and every one of you. We're called. If you love him, would you feed his sheep? If you love him, would you reach out to that family member, that friend, that neighbor? Come on. He's called us not to be fishermen. What's that? That's just distractions. He's called us to be a fisher of people. God gave us a second chance. What an honor, what a privilege it is to introduce others to that same grace. With every hand stretched towards heaven right now, God, all across this room, at Cincinnati, online, if you feel free, lift your hands right now. God, we receive your grace. Lord, I believe there's people under the sound of my voice, they walked in here and they've got a Simon Peter kind of spirit on them. They're running, and it's because of guilt, and it's because of shame, and there's distance now between you and them, but God, you don't judge us by our worst days because even on our best days, we're still not good enough to qualify for your grace. It's either all by our works or nothing to do with our works, and thank God that your grace is sufficient for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So, God, freely we receive your grace. The spirit of judgment has no place in our lives. That spirit of condemnation has no place in our lives. Anything that would hold us back and keep us separated, that crowing rooster, that voice that would shout out your mistakes, that does not have the final say. Your heavenly Father has the final say. God, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I love that, that every morning we might wake up and be reminded of what we've messed up and the mistakes that we've made, but your mercies are new every morning so that when we might be reminded of our mistakes, may we be further reminded that your mercy and grace is sufficient to cover it. God, we receive that freely. Freely you've given, freely we receive. Thank you, Lord. God, may you compel us to be fishers of people. May we take this great grace that we've received, the mercy that we've received, the forgiveness that we've received. May your loving kindness compel us to reach those that are lost, hurting, and broken. God, may we decrease the amount of people going to hell, decrease the amount of people that are beating themselves up, decrease the amount of people far from you. May we increase the amount of people that are going to fall here at the altar, at your feet, Jesus. May we increase the amount of people that are going to declare you as their Savior and be baptized. And Lord, stir up a revival in our community, in our nation. Lord, fan the flame of our love for you, God in our desire, our unrelenting desire. May we have a passion and be burdened with the great mission that you've called us, which is to reach those that are lost, hurting, and broken, and provide them with the only hope, the only solution that is found in the name above all names. And in that name, we all agree and said a big amen. Come on, let's give Jesus the word of God some praise today.